You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most urgent topics in the never-dull world of Indiana basketball. This is our 109th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 473rd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, January 24th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. First of all, congratulations to Trace Jackson Davis on being named to the McDonald's All-American team. That is an obvious banner moment since uh, only two teams have won a national title since 1979 without at least one burger boy on their team. But my banner moment for this week occurred early in Indiana's loss to Northwestern. You know, that fleeting time period when the Hoosiers were actually in sync offensively and firmly in control of the game. Al Durham came off the bench and had a brilliant offensive stretch. First, he hit a gorgeous step-back turnaround jumper on the baseline. Then a few possessions later, he scored on an aggressive drive to the basket, followed immediately by a steal and a decisive transition attack that led to a trip to the line. As you know, I've been critical of Al at times this season because he has struggled against better, bigger, tougher competition. He had five turnovers at Arkansas. He was scoreless in back-to-back games against Butler and Louisville. But over the last handful of games, I've found myself more and more impressed with Al's play. And it's not just the numbers and his efficiency that are better. It's how he looks. He appears more aggressive. He seems more confident. He just strikes me as a guy who, now entering the second half of his sophomore season, is ready and willing to take on some of the offensive burden that too often has fallen solely on the shoulders of Romeo and Juwan which is why I'm ready to make a bold prediction. I think Al's offensive output against Northwestern, 11 points, 3 assists, is a harbinger of things to come. If you remove the Nebraska game, in which he only played 6 minutes, Al is averaging 8.7 points per game in Big Ten play. I think that number is about to take a jump. I think a more confident Al Durham is ready to take advantage of the opportunities he will have as defenses continue to focus their attention on Romeo and Juwan. Al has to make teams pay, and he can. He's a solid 3-point shooter, He attacks the basket with conviction and can get to the line. He's shown creativity with his mid-range game and has proven himself a capable shot maker. What he's been missing is consistent confidence and a willingness to assert himself. And from my view, a thousand miles away from the action, I think he may well have found that confidence. Just a gut feeling. So mark this down. I say Al averages at least 11 points per game from here on out, giving Indiana another consistent scoring option it can count on. And when we're sitting here in March... Looking forward to a trip to the NCAA tournament and reflecting on how Indiana turned its season around, Al's emergence is going to be near the top of the list. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, he is the Kalen DeBoer of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati. He's the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club. 
and he spends his winter months oscillating between being loved and loathed by fans of bubble teams across the nation. He also has resorted to arcane 80s movie quotes as a means of coping with Indiana's losing streak. Look around you, Helen. We're at the threshold of hell. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your Bottoms line from the last week in IU basketball? Well, first, I'm really ashamed that her name is actually Ellen in the movie, although I think that quote was said after midnight uh, here Eastern time. So I You're can't forgiven. take. Yeah, I think I think we can let that one go. But uh, for me, as you look ahead to the the Michigan game, there's really two things that that I'm looking at. One of them uh, came up from from Justin Smith a little bit, watched his his press availability today and Archie's and you see and you hear they're saying the right things. They notice the issues that are there. They notice the things. They talk about the things that we're all seeing. You just finally want to see them actually get fixed and addressed in the game. Um, and so there are a number of little things that you look at. Uh, I know I had a good, you know, productive conversations can be had uh, on Twitter. And so even after the game the other night, I was going back and forth with, uh, among a couple others, uh, Nick Baumgart. And he put together a couple clips uh, over that night and basically said, you know, these things are not coaching. Archie isn't coaching guys to do some of the things that he showed. And it was little things that are correctable, but in key moments in games when IU needs somebody to make the right play or the simple play, they just haven't done it. And they seem to acknowledge that as they go through and have these, you know, media availabilities and conversations uh, but you have to see it at some point on the floor. And that's really, you know, one of the key things that I'm looking forward to, hopefully looking forward to, uh, to seeing about the game. And the other is really the environment. Uh, we've watched, you know, Iowa for a while in the game tonight was playing really well. The crowd's getting into it. Everything is going their way. Now Michigan State eventually turned around and shut everybody up. But if you think about, what IU needs from an environment standpoint, what this team needs to get picked up and actually have some fun playing basketball again, as they were during that run in the second half of the Northwestern game. That to me is really key for that. So those are at least a couple of things. I know we're going to talk more about the Michigan game, um, but, but something that I'm looking forward to uh, and, and hopefully will be positive things for IU. And back with us this week, he is an assistant coach for Western High School and a former head coach at the high school level. He's also buying any and all Archie Miller stock that irrational IU fans may be selling. I have a mad crush on Archie Miller. and Coach, it's Tonsoni time. The floor is yours. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile, but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure turns about, when he might have won, had he stuck it out. Don't give up through the pace, though the pace seems slow, you may succeed with another blow. Success is failure, turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you will never can tell how close you are, it may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight. When you're hardest hit, it's when things seem worst that you must not quit. From Terry Hepner, former IU football coach, the late Terry Hepner, his fa favorite poem that he shared with this football team, I think is something that we all need to soak in and realize that we're not going to quit our fandom. We're not going to quit rooting. We're not going to quit on the program. We're not happy. It's been bad basketball from coaching to playing. 
but uh, real people who support the program uh, and, and the coaching staff and everyone don't quit. Keep trudging forward. That was awesome. Maybe the best opening statement that we've ever had on the show. Certainly the best opening statement in that spot that we've ever had on the show. There's no question about that. I think we need to put that on the, uh, the big screen before the Michigan game. Get everybody riled up. Good stuff, Coach. Um, all right, here's what we're going to talk about this week. We are going to go over a few keys to victory against Michigan. Then we have Coach's Corner. What X's and O's adjustments can Indiana make to create more efficient offense? What does Archie's early history at Dayton tell us about his ability to navigate the treacherous waters he currently finds himself in? And then, as we always do, we will answer your questions. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. All right, now before we do that, let's talk real quick about sleep. I could not sleep. Well, Ryan, I have a solution for you, and it's from our friends, the IU fans and grads at Comfort Option. Their Alpha Mattress is one of the most well-reviewed mattresses available online. You can customize it to your liking, and they will ship it anywhere in the U.S., San Diego, Cincinnati, wherever, while saving you a bunch of money in the process. How do they do it? They do it by shipping direct because they make the mattresses themselves. This means that they cut out the middleman and save you money. That's not new information. No, Andy, it's not new information, but this is. Comfort Option recently extended their 3090 satisfaction guarantee to the Alpha mattress. So no matter where they ship it to you, you'll have 30 days to try it, 90 days to request a reconstruction, and your satisfaction is fully guaranteed, or they take it back and refund your money. Wow. Wow, indeed. And get this. If you live in Indianapolis or Bloomington, Comfort Option will literally bring their mobile mattress store to your house and custom design a mattress for you right there on the spot with the 3090 satisfaction guarantee included. I don't know if that's accurate, but all right. Andy, it is accurate. It only sounds too good to be true because no other mattress companies have ever been willing and able to come to your house to construct a custom mattress and been confident enough to offer such a guarantee. Incredibly impressive. Yes, it is impressive. So here's what you need to do. Go to comfortoption.com right now and either order your alpha mattress or schedule your in-home mattress store service today. Can a brother get some coupons? Of course you can. When you go to comfortoption.com and order, use the promo code assembly to get $50 off your purchase. Using that code also lets them know you heard about it here, so that helps us out too. Again, comfortoption.com, promo code assembly for $50 off. Get the mattress that's right for you at Comfort Option. Don't leave your sleep to chance. It's too important. We want you to live. Yes, we do. All right, now back to the show. All right, gentlemen, so really big game coming up, uh, obviously, on Friday against Michigan. The Hoosiers in the midst of this five-game losing streak. You know, this game represents a few things. I mean, it represents a home opportunity to stop the losing streak. This would be another kind of resume-anchoring victory for Indiana because Michigan, you know, still a top-10 team. So there is so much at stake for Indiana in this game. Um, on podcast on the brink earlier this week, we had Dylan Burkhart from UM Hoops on to kind of talk about it. So I, I would you know recommend that to folks if you want to get a little bit more of the Michigan perspective of this game. But I want to kind of go around the horn here and see what you guys think are the keys to victory. And what we're going to take off the table is the obvious stuff. You know, Romeo and Juwan have to stay out of foul trouble early, which they didn't do in Ann Arbor. Indiana needs to hit more shots, obviously. Uh, so we know those are keys. But what are some of the other keys, Coach? What do you think is the biggest key uh, for Indiana in this game? You know, I think consistent defensive effort, and and that's obvious as, as well, I, I know. But there were times in the Northwestern game where I thought the defense was really outstanding, and then all of a sudden we didn't close out on, a, on the hot shooter uh, a couple times. And Archie even came out in his availability, I believe he said, the defense will key the offense. And that's one way when you're struggling is to get some leak outs, to get some uh, turnovers, get some early offense based off of your defense. 
and, and it's not just point prevention, but it can, can be offensive creation. So uh, all five guys executing on defense for 40 minutes gives Indiana a chance uh, on Friday night. Andy, what do you think? Well, something that was interesting, it, it speaks a little bit to what Archie talked about with trying to get out in transition more, which is not easy against a team like Michigan that doesn't turn the ball over. But something else, um, this is the Nick you know, Baumgart appreciation hour at this point, but he had a, a tweet that, uh, that he put out, I think it was yesterday, IU adjusted tempo rank on January 1st, 116th. IU adjusted tempo rank on January 23rd, 206th. That's a pretty precipitous drop in tempo in a, a, a three-week span. And that speaks a lot to IU not forcing turnovers and not really being able to get out in transition. And as we've talked about before, and as everybody knows who watches this team, any kind of easy scoring opportunities are much needed and seldom seen of late. So what you really want to see is Michigan's not going to turn the ball over a lot, but can you do a good job defensive rebounding, allow yourself to get out and get some easy buckets. Talked about how well Justin plays in those kinds of scenarios. Romeo, that was something that Archie mentioned today and his availability as well. And I think it was, I think it was Ben who asked that and said, what do you do in order to get him the space that he needs? Because in half court settings, teams have, and Michigan will, focus so much on cutting off those driving lanes and, and Archie talked about do you get Romeo in transition get some seams that he can take advantage of that way so I think that's a big one I don't know how you do that but it does certainly take that consistent defensive effort and I think that's what's really you know, come and gone over the stretch for IU where they've played so well in certain stretches but just it hasn't been sustainable and key mistakes here and there at moments where they just can't happen have really plagued them throughout the stretch. Yeah, no, I, I agree with both of what you guys say. And, you know, for me, you know, I, I talked with someone who covers the Michigan, who covers the Wolverines, and they basically said, look, I, I think Indiana's going to win this game by double digits because I think they'll be the more desperate team. And that's why, to me, you know, when I look at the keys, I think a lot of it boils down to we, we have to play 40 minutes of desperation. You know, we came back in the Michigan game last time because we started playing desperate and playing hard and really playing well. And I don't, you're not desperate like you're just jacking up shots, but with an urgency, a desperation, like we have to win this game and we will go all out. We will get every 50-50 ball. We'll be in a stance. We will be so exhausted that, you know, you got to, you know, pull us out of the game and, you know, whatever. But just that desperation that we haven't seen, you know, because this team at times is just a little bit too relaxed and we can't do that. And I think if we do that... The crowd will feed off of it. I don't think Michigan will match it just because, you know, they're 18 and one and this isn't the most important game to them, but it means everything to us. And I think we've got to come out and play like that. And if we do, I think we're going to have a really good chance to win. Coach, you wanted to hop in? I'm just going to say, Andy, too, uh, on the, I'd like to see a a quicker push out, a quicker uh, start on defensive rebounding. Uh, You don't necessarily have to get steals to have transition. Uh, there's a lot of teams that will run transition, good transition off made baskets. I think just the emphasis to get out early before defenses get set in what we call their elbows and blocks defense, when you put everyone inside those spots and, and, and catch everyone in the lane because our scorers have to score in the lane. So, and I've been, I've been trying to mention that and thinking about that for Indiana for a long time, transition offense, but it has to start with defense because if you're just giving up you know, 1.4 points per possession to Michigan, then then they're going to be able to get back and get their defense set. 
Um, rebounding, I think, is the key, too, to finish possessions, and that's something that we uh, have struggled with on both the offensive end and the defensive end. But if you have a solid defensive possession, got to finish it with the rebound, and, and then let's go try to get some early offense. It, the other quick thing that I had was, we've touched on this a lot after the show the other night, but but who is the mystery contributor off the bench? Uh, who can that be? Al played really well in that role the other night. You don't really know what the starting lineup is going to look like. Does he stick with McRoberts? But the last part of that game, IU basically played with six guys, and you're not going to be able to beat Michigan doing that. They, I mean, five of them scored in double figures. That's great. You need one of the guys on the bench that everybody's been clamoring to play more. Somebody needs to really come in ready to seize that opportunity. And that doesn't mean it can only be one of the freshmen, those or, or the inexperienced guys. That could still be Evan Fitzner. Uh, he certainly hasn't played with a level of confidence lately that make you think that it would be him. But it doesn't really matter who it is. Somebody has to be able to give that unexpected lift uh, in the way that you know Falzon did for Northwestern. An unexpected performance won the game for Northwestern from a guy who got hot, came out, did really the one thing that he was capable of doing and did it really well. So who's going to be that guy for IU? And if somebody is able to do that and become that guy, ideally, consistently, that would be great. But for one night only, somebody has to find a way to, to give an unexpected contribution. And that's the kind of thing that the crowd feeds off of. And that really just builds upon itself at that point. And usually, I mean, your role players are more likely to have good games at home, too. So, you know, Indiana should be in a, in a better position to possibly have that. So you're right. Admittedly, we're so. running out of role players at this point, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yes, we are. All right. Uh, coming up on the assembly call, it is time for Coach's Corner. So Coach Tonsoni will walk through some of the X's and O's adjustments that he would make to improve Indiana's offense and to put Romeo in better position to do some damage. Stick with us here on the assembly call. We'll break it all down next. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcasts, chat mobbers, or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel. As esteemed chat mobber Chad once put it, hearing the stuff in between, you get to know you guys a lot better. Like the time after the Northwestern postgame show when it became clear that even eight years in, Ryan still has no clue how this show is produced. Oh, the podcast is off? Yeah, the podcast is off. We ended the podcast a long time ago. So this we're just on YouTube. Right. Do you after even dark. understand how this works? <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. God's sake. No, I thought this. I thought this was recorded uh, on the podcast. It, it, yeah. No, no, no. We don't. Okay. Once the once the music is over, we stop. <laughs> okay. mm -hmm. Join us live at youtubecom call. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and the coach Brian Tonsoni. Will this be on the podcast? Yes, Ryan. This will be on the podcast. So let's go into our coach's corner, uh, coach. A lot of people are, you know, watching Indiana play. They're especially frustrated with the offensive execution. You know, wondering why Archie isn't making adjustments and doing this, that, or the other. Um, and I know that you are never one who likes to second guess a coach, but you're also a coach who has seen a lot and has a lot of ideas. And so we wanted to run through some of those because you'll you'll often email us those ideas and you know kind of put that in there. And you have a lot to share. So kind of turn this over to you. I mean, we just want to know what your thoughts are for some things that Indiana might be able to try to see if it can free the guys up, get more space, get the ball in some better scoring opportunities. 
Yeah, and, and I always start off when, when I talk about a coach at another level, it's different than high school, and, and I watch him on TV. I don't see him in practice. And so I just think people need to understand that when we have opinions, that, you know, there's 75, 80 practices going on. Uh, I, I'm going to give some suggestions, but I, I'm just a fan like everyone else uh, uh, that happens to also coach some high school. The problem is the defenses are just sitting in the lane, regardless of what action uh, Archie is calling. Um, you saw that Finnessy sets a diagonal back screen and then comes off another screen. We call that Denver action or screen the screener action. Well, Finnessy's defenders just sitting there to take uh, Jawan in the low post, daring, you know, they, didn't, they don't care if they're late right now on Rob Finnessy when he gets out to the three-point line. Um, and, and so both of our best players are being received by two defenders every time they're, they're attacking the lane where they're shooting great percentages. Uh, and also, if you're guarding the elbows and the blocks, that prevents some weak side cutting and some post-to-post -post passing because they're just jamming it up, whether it's a 1-3-1 one, one or, or heavy help. So defenses are deciding to take, take Indiana spacing away, and our players need that spacing in order to score. So, so what do you do? Uh, and I understand that it seems like there's no adjustments because the offense has been poor for a long time, and it has been. And, and coaches are responsible for making the right calls. Uh, but I think Archie tried to do some things in the last game, and they didn't work. And he's got to be accountable for that, just like we all are when, when you call a set or a play and it doesn't work. But you saw Romeo in the post a couple times, and I thought they were trying to get him a ball the ball in a location where help um, would not be there as fast or he can make a quicker move. They ran some flex offense uh, to get some continuity in the offense. Uh, they, they've done this in previous games. They brought Romeo off ball screens in the center. So you've seen, you've seen some different actions. They ran what we call a top series where Romeo starts on one wing and runs over the elbows where there's two uh, screeners. So all of that happened in the Northwestern game. And a lot of it didn't work. So when we do that, that's bad coaching. We got to go and find out. So, so what Archie is probably doing, and I, and I firmly believe this, you have got to stay with what you believe in offensively uh, and find the sets or find the positions on the court that really match up. Because if you don't believe in something, it's hard to teach and convince players to play. So you can't just automatically go to some film and say, well, this team out West ran this and we're going to do it now, uh, not in a two- or three-day turnaround. You've got to dig down into your files and see, okay, here's my philosophy. Here's some stuff we've run before. Uh, let's try this. And, and, again, hopefully it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But here's a couple, here's a couple things, if it were in Archie's playbook, that, that I would say, hey, Coach, dig these out. I, and I'm a motion guy, so I'd like to see a little more screening. Um, I don't know if that's in his philosophy or not, but put um, Romeo running the baseline. And, and coming off screens where he could curl in the lane a little bit, he could fade. Uh, I know he's not shooting well from three, uh, but maybe that gives him a, a step or two to, to drive a closeout and, and prevent some help. Uh, I'd like to see Romeo catch the ball at the elbow. I call that the pinch post and, and reverse pivot and attack. I think it's harder to help when the ball's caught at the elbow than when it's caught out on an extended wing at the 3 Now, they've done line. some of that. They've done some they, of that. They've done some of that, but I don't know that Rome. I'd have to go back and watch. Has Romeo caught in that position, or has it been the post players? I think he's done it a couple times. I think sometimes okay. out of timeouts, they've gotten him the ball in that so, position. So I would like to get him some more elbow catches. And then 
what RTE and staff are there. I know they're digging down deep because we would be doing this. What are you doing for the non-guarded players? Where are you putting them? What can you do to make them help the offense? Because right now they're being dared to shoot. And generally it comes into non-guarded players need to be screeners. Archie did that in Northwestern. Josh Smith was at the top of the key trying to set a ball screen to get some, because no defense is there to help, to hedge, to trap the variety of ways on ball screens. I would take it a step further and I would, I would make the screeners either um, pin screeners for a guard coming out or a flare screener for a guard off the top. Those are hard actions to guard if you don't show a little help uh, from the man screening. And if those people are so set in the lane, that could be some things. And then obviously you just got to put Romeo in different spots on the floor and try to put the other players and move the help um, besides the obvious of skipping the ball to the open guys and hitting shots. Uh, but you... so those are some of the ideas that, that I have been thinking about since the defense has adjusted to, to IU strengths. I mean, those are great ideas. I mean, I think anything that we could do to kind of get Romeo moving off the ball, you know, we, when we did basketball 201, Ben was talking about the gravity of Carson Edwards and just the fact wherever he moves, the defense has to pay attention to him and you can create space because of that. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of similar with Romeo. He's going to draw so much attention um, if he can move and, and move with purpose off the ball sometimes, I think that could really help. Would you focus exclusively on kind of running sets and doing things to get Romeo and Jawan in a good position? Or would you try and run some things for other guys to maybe get Al an open three or to get you know Rob in a good position? Or do, you, or do they just have to kind of get stuff out of whatever you're running, but you're focused on getting Romeo the ball in this spot or getting Jawan the ball in this spot? You know, I, I, I'd probably a combination. I try to run stuff where the focus is our two scores, but built in that are some openings for our best three point shooters, which I think are L and Rob. And I think you've got to tell L and Rob that you want so many threes taken uh, per game and see, see what, what happens. And, you know, if, if those players aren't out now, again, you're talking Smith and McRoberts primarily not being guarded. You're not talking the other guys, but I mean, I, I played in the wrong era. Coaches are talking about a three-point quota now. I needed to play now. <laughs> well, you know, we have to tell players, shoot the ball. In, in practice tonight, we stopped and, and made a kid run because he didn't shoot the ball. Um, and, I, and you I love heard basketball, Izzo, though. Izzo on a timeout, you've got to take shots. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, but he was in a timeout. If you don't take shots, you're not going to make shots. And, and, and offense is so much spacing that you have to do that. Now, it would be better to, if they went in. Um, you know, taking shots and missing. We we want makers, not takers. And, and but yes, I, I might even run a few sets to get those guys some confidence early. The L and and Rob, because you're going to need that. Obviously, uh, the top two guys are just being brutally harassed in the lane to to lower percentages and getting frustrated and turning the ball over and and, and they're trying too hard at times and and then not having good shots and the pressure of of the losing streak is added on on their shoulders. So yeah, you've got to try something because what you're doing is not working coach Miller. And as much as I have a crush on you, it's not working. You got to just go somewhere else. He ought to be fired. Whoa, coach, (laughs) (laughs) man, this is where those can get dangerous. You can't uh, can't just throw that out. One thing that I wanted to bring up, because you talked about having the guys that are unguarded be the screeners. And we've seen Justin Smith get open looks at the top of the key, which feels like a good place to, 
try to run Romeo off of a ball screen or, or something like that in the middle. It was interesting listening to Justin and his availability today. Somebody asked him about how he was dealing with being given that much space. And he even said something to the effect of it just was uncomfortable for him. And I think you see that in those scenarios because we've talked so many times about how he does, he doesn't do as well putting the ball on the floor that often leads to turnovers or him just struggling to figure out what the right thing to do is, but they're so far off of him that he feel that he either seems to take the wide open three, which did not work well against Northwestern. He did hit a couple shots against Purdue or he starts to dribble, but doesn't really know when to stop. I think there's cases where he could take a couple dribbles in and still take a wide open shot that is more, makeable for him and maybe even some pick and pop actions with him out of that where he's not behind the three-point line where he's probably a little bit less comfortable at this point you saw him take a really good jumper against Purdue where shot fake one dribble mid-range shot made it I know everybody doesn't want to take those kinds of mid-range shots but I wonder if that's something you couldn't do with him because he's clearly uncomfortable not being guarded as weird as that sounds and he you know didn't really back away from that statement even when he was asked the question it's it's surprising to me with the three-point line being around for so long that we have college players, and I'm not trying to be critical of Justin, but um, I'd have loved to have the three-point line. I'm so old that we had jump balls and no three-point line. Um, you know, uh, seeing the chat room, there's a lot of three-point shooters in the, in the chat room, and, and our host was a three-point shooter. Uh, you, you have to have confidence, and, and – your comments there show that that he's not confident. If I if I was left wide open, I'd be shooting that all night long. I, I wouldn't feel uncomfortable. I'd be glad and pointing to the stands on the way back, maybe even popping my collar. But, um, it, it, you know, you got you got a couple guys that just pull the trigger. I like to tell players this: you're you're most open when you first catch the ball, and you've got to be thinking you're going to shoot until the defense takes it away from you within your stated shot distance. Now again. So maybe that's why they don't shoot. They're they're not allowed to or whatever. But um, I think they, I think they just got to be ready to shoot. Um, and and sometimes, and I don't know. I'm not in practice, but sometimes we can overcoach, um, and we can overcoach. And kids want to please and want to do the right thing, and they get they they get slowed down by their own mental thinking. And, and I I just think some of our players have gotten that way. Um, and, and and that's kind of the best situation. The kids want it so bad that they're slowing themselves down. They don't want to mess up. I, I don't know how that happens at the college level. Uh, I, I do know it happens a lot at the high school level. Um, but, yeah, man, if you're open, shoot the ball. So what what do you think about, you know, the idea of a certain guy needs to be benched if he's, you know, maybe, you know, he, he didn't hustle back or he's not doing what you want? And how difficult is that when we look at reality, not making excuses, but look at reality of a team that has lost a lot of guys to injury? Yeah, you know, the bench is the greatest motivator, either at the beginning of games or even during games. But uh, And the pro, the pro to benching players when they're not giving effort or they're not executing the way a coach wants them to is it's accountability. You, you do what needs to be done, you do your job, or you sit. And that's Indiana basketball. And I, I and I think that's Archie Miller. I think he sat Justin Smith a lot in the Arkansas game in the second half, and Demizi got 26 minutes. Um, so you know, the other thing is you have you get players some playing time, and, and some of our players need to get some playing time, and you give other players a chance. 
the cons is that if the drop off to the bench player is so far, you're basically deciding I'm making a point versus winning a game. And, and you know, boy, we've lost five in a row and, and the noise is getting loud. That does foster into a coach's coaches like to win as well. And the injuries add there. If you had six, seven, eight, nine, ten all year long progressing, then you might drop a four, you know, your fourth best player, your fifth best player, if they're not giving effort and put in seven or eight and feel comfortable about it. But when you have to, the decision is my my starting forward is not playing the way I want to, but if I go down to the eleventh or twelfth guy, I'm not gonna get better production anyway. Uh, 80% is better than something else. That That's, that's tough. The other con is that you can't, if you sub out every time there's a mistake, players start looking over their shoulder and you get a reputation of coaching mad. And, and that's one of the things I, I talk to young coaches. You cannot coach mad. You've got to try to coach calm and see the bigger picture. But if you coach mad, a guy throws the ball off someone's foot and boom, he's out. Then that often hinders performance more than it helps. So there's pros to benching and there's cons to benching. Um, and, and that's a major discussion in our program all the time about when to sub, when not to sub, and and how to hold kids accountable. We like to do it on the end line in practice, and we like to do it in film session with some pretty pointed, serious words about their effort and, and their their play and keep it in-house and, and don't let the fans and don't let the parents and that, uh, you know, we're not into putting people down. We're into making better basketball players and better men, and we're going to do it privately and respectfully. Um, and I'm not sure doing it in the press uh, is, is the way to go. Uh, Coach, last point here. You have some numbers here um, about the importance of stability and, and how much that matters for winning. You want to go over those real quick before we get out of the segment? Yeah, just real quick. You know, I, I know everyone's saying this direction and that direction of coaching, but when I looked at the Big Ten coaches – uh, Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue um, are all probably in the top three or four so far this year. Izzo's been around for 24. This is his 24th year. Painter's in his 16th year and followed up a guy that he was similar to in style. Uh, Beeline is in his 12th year. So those three programs who have been good in the past three or four years have had some continuity. You've also seen some continuity in some programs that have struggled. McCaffrey's been here for nine years. Chambers, eight. Turgeon, eight. Miles, seven, Collins, six, Patino at Minnesota, six. And, and they've had various years of those teams have made tournaments, not made tournaments, been up and down. Um, most coaches have some time in a variety of places. I know the opposition to that will be, well, if you know you have a bad coach, why wait five or six years? Uh, the question, the honest response back would be, how do we know um, when you're looking at some of these coaches that I'm not sure are, are great coaches and they're getting six, seven and eight years. And, and the history shows that Archie's been pretty solid at Dayton and whether you like him or not, or want it offered or not. Um, and all the two year coaches that were hired in 17 Holtman Miller and Underwood are having really tough years and both Holtman and Miller are in five game losing streaks. So, you know, there's some consistency in, in, in programs and, you know, I think you got to, give someone four or five years um, without sanctions or whatever uh, to see and, and knowing when to pull the trigger and, sh you know, uh, Shaka Smart struggling at Texas after four years. There's no guarantee that Archie uh, can get it done as much as I like him. Uh, if it's four or five years of this same stuff, then then maybe he is in over his head and, and you have to start over. But you get a reputation 
as a program of starting over every two years. And you're not going to get uh, anyone but desperate coaches who want to try to take the chance at Indiana. You're not going to get the, the best to come in. Uh, and I think that's something that sometimes we get caught up in as fans uh, wanting to, to solve the problems uh, two, two days ago and, and not give it some time. Yep. All righty. Uh, coming up, we are going to take a look back at Archie's third year at Dayton which reached a critical January fork in the road, just like his current team is. How did, they, how did that turn out? What can we learn from it? We're going to explore that next here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and the coach, Brian Sansoni. Remember, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason. And after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis. There's a high-level operation going on out there. And Ryan, please remind everybody uh, how much we charge for this premium content. We provide our content for free. Yes, we do. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Make no excuses. Can we get some basketball, please? All right. Back to talking basketball. So we got this question from Brian, um, and I want to spend a few minutes here addressing this. So he says, in the 2013-14 season, Dayton was 12-3 and in non-conference play. Then the Flyer, and this was Archie's third season. Then the Flyers opened the Atlantic 10 season 1-5 and with three of the losses coming at home. After that stretch, Dayton finished 13-3 and with a trip to the Elite Eight. Now, he says, I'm not suggesting that IU will make the Elite Eight or even the NCAA tournament this season, but it's clear Archie has the experience and know-how to lead a team out of a bad spell. I think those dismissing Coach Miller at this point need to take a hard look at his Dayton years. He built a consistent program in a difficult conference. Uh, specifically, his Dayton teams did not lose double-digit games in the last three seasons there. One thing that's kind of interesting, you know, Dayton... Archie certainly wasn't rebuilding Dayton. They had been pretty good, but he did kind of take them to the next level. The average Ken Palm finish uh, for Dayton before Archie got there was 78.3. The average finish with Archie, even with, you know, his first couple seasons included, which weren't as great, was 53. So, you know, he took a program that was pretty good and kind of took it to the next level, which I think is also interesting to remember. But when we think about this stretch, Andy, you know, they were ranked 75th in Ken Palm at the end of the stretch. They ended the season 37th in Ken Palm. So, I mean, they made a huge jump up. And what really led to the turnaround statistically, you know, that team was actually better offensively than they were defensively, but it was an improvement on defense that really led to the turnaround because in the first three games of that four-game losing streak, they gave up 1.18 points per possession or more to teams that finished 7th, ninth, and 10th in the conference in offensive efficiency. So they weren't great. They were just playing bad defense. And in the fourth game, they played a really good St. Joe's team that put two guys in the NBA. That team was second in offensive efficiency, but they only gave up .94 points per possession, lost at the buzzer. But, you know, you went back and read the article, and you could tell that they were, like, they had figured something out. And they turned it around right after that game. They went 9-1. and one. They never gave up more than 1.1 points per possession again for the rest of the season. And they beat St. Louis on March 5th. And St. Louis at the time was number 17. And here's what Archie said after that game. He said, quote, the great thing about this team is we've eliminated all the noise. We had to do that back in January when nobody liked us. When we weren't playing well, it's been a constant everyday fight for ourselves to just stay together to be about the right things. We have high character guys. And so, you know, and, and Archie was asked about this today at the availability. 
And it seems to me that's what this team's going to need to rely on. Yeah, they need to improve the offense, no question. But they've got to get back to playing good defense because the defense has really slipped, and they're going to have to rely on their togetherness. And this is going to reveal the character of this team. And Archie kind of alluded to to this when he said, you know, it's hard to do coming out of a stretch like this. You have to have great character, great leadership, tremendous togetherness, and that's what we're searching for here. But it's at least comforting to know that he's been in this situation before and how that turned out, and now we'll see how it turns out here at Indiana. It's interesting when you look down what IU has done over, certainly over this five-game stretch, but also over the course of the season, they're one in six, I believe, if I'm looking at this correctly, in games where they've allowed over a point per possession defensively. And all five of the last five games in in this current stretch have fallen into that. And all but the Nebraska game were, you know, upwards of 1.07 points per game. So I agree that as putrid as the offense has been over these last few games, which were among the worst offensive performances that IU has had over the course of the season, it really has to turn defensively. And you you saw it in the you know, the early season, albeit against you know inferior opponents in some cases, but also against good teams that they were able to you know, to play good defense. And I had a few extra minutes tonight and happened to go back to the basketball 201 that you and Ben had done after the Michigan game before just to kind of reorient myself a little bit with what had happened in that game. And there was one of the defensive possessions on there that was just perfect. Uh, they fought through screens. They you know shut off driving lanes. They recovered well. They did those things. So like it's there. It's It goes back a little bit to what I said at the beginning, though, around the consistency and around eliminating those small mistakes. And Justin alluded to that in his comments today of, you know, really being able to play for 40 minutes, know that Al talked about knowing scouting reports and, and being up on those kinds of things because the ability to play the kinds of defense that can pull them out of this is there. It just hasn't been present for nearly enough of the games that are there. And hopefully in the way that the offense seems to snowball at times for this team, the defense can do the same thing because I, if there's one thing to take away from all the things that happened there, it's that this team has to get better defensively and it's been easy to focus on the offense and how poorly they've shot the ball, which they have shot poorly. I also don't know that you can continue to shoot that badly, but you probably can continue to play defense that badly if you don't pay attention to the details that you've, you've worked on and are really key components of what the system is supposed to do. Coach, you know, you talked earlier, you know, he needs to go through his files and this kind of thing. Most coaches, you know, kind of keep notebooks and have records of what they've done in the past. How often do you think Archie is reflecting on his notes from that 2014 season now as they go through this? I think, you know, you always dig deep from past experiences. And and I think, you know, I, I believe in struggle and failure leads to great growth. And if you've done it once and you find yourself in similar situations, you're going to revert back to doing similar things. You know, this, and sometimes, you know, we're, we focus a lot on uh, Archie's files and that, but the players have to dig deep too. You know, if, if there's not a level of competitiveness where you stick to the scouting report and it's done for 40 minutes and, and you, and you don't, get motivated until you're down six or seven or eight that's on you as a player and and I like all the Indiana guys and will ever support them too but uh, sometimes coaches uh, you know everyone says oh is this team quit on on the coach or is the coach lost the team well sometimes players can lose the coach too, the confidence level with with their attention to detail and and 
I just think this team needs to be a little bit more mentally tough, physically tough all the way around, pay attention to the detail, and be committed tomorrow night to do it for 40 minutes. And, and it's not anyone else's responsibility other than those guys playing on the floor. Archie can call timeouts. He can put you in sets. But hit your free throws. Make your shots. Close out on three-point shooters. You're a college basketball player. And 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 I'm I'm biased for coaches for the most part, except for the previous regime here. Um, I, I support almost every coach to a fault. And, and but my gosh, you know we don't coach missed layups, and we don't coach not closing out, and we don't coach turnovers. We understand they happen, and there's things we can do better to maybe limit them. Uh, and and I'm not trying to absolve responsibility from the coaches, but the players need to be tougher. And I, and I think it starts tomorrow. I mean, they have to play desperate. It's, it's funny. One of the things in Justin's interview was somebody asked the question around the, the, the run against Northwestern where they got back in the game and somebody asked about, you know, flipping that switch when you're there. And his answer was something to the effect of got down and worried that we were going to lose the game at that point. And it was like, it does match up with what you see where we've seen that in some of the games against inferior teams earlier, where it wasn't until things were hanging in the balance until they really turned around. But I also kind of cringe to hear the answer because it was like, yeah, that just is a terrible thing to hear. And to play with that fear of losing the game from the beginning, you know, you really go back to that Marquette game that feels like forever ago, but that was, was really that the same the team. Was that this season? Allegedly it was, but I think you look at it now and it, it, that was the game that they came closest to really playing that way for 40 minutes and maybe did play that way for 40 minutes. And it was against a team that has proven before and after that game, how elite it can be defensively. So that's again, where you kind of go back to like, you know, that it's in there, but how do you get to see it more consistently? And that has to start because there aren't enough other places to turn as we kind of talked about the whole benching conversation before there just aren't enough other places to turn to find answers. And so it has to start there because that's something that is not, is not making an open shot. It's not dependent upon, you know, certain skills and things like that. It's dependent largely on effort and following through with the game plan. And so hopefully that's where it, that's where it starts. Cause that, that comment was one of the parts of the availability that I was like, just you hate to hear that, but it matches up with what you see when you watch the team. You know, if you play against the game, that's that's something I, I say a lot to our young men. Play against the game. You want to play your best. Winning and losing will take care of itself. If you have eight or nine guys playing against the game and wanting to be good that night because it's the game of basketball in the state of Indiana, I think that's some of the frustrations, rightful frustrations that the fans have had for this team and for teams of the past. You're wearing the Indiana jersey. You're playing for Indiana. Give us 40 minutes of concentration and effort, and that will that will right the ship. Um, but playing because all of a sudden you start playing well because you're afraid to lose, that ought to have been at the bus ride over uh, with that attitude of I'm going to play my very best. It's a fight. It's a rock fight. I'm going, and I'm going to win this thing regardless. That, 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 that's got to change. You've had many jumbotron moments tonight, Coach. That was another one. That one needs to be on there, also. Just give just give the pregame speech to the team. They'll come out ready to play. I felt like we had an amazing conversation on all levels. 
Thank you, Archie. All right, coming up in our final segment, we answer your questions, including how Indiana's recent stretch of bad play may affect Keon Brooks' looming decision and whether Archie can afford to play two Hoosier regulars at the same time together anymore. We'll discuss those two. That's next. Stick with us. Listening to the assembly call, we are wrapping up another week of talking IU basketball. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and the coach Brian Tonsoni, and we got a few questions. Our questions all come from our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can check out at assemblycall.com/community. Uh, so, guys, we don't have a lot of time, but we'll get to as many of these as we can. First question from Tony: How does this stretch affect Keon Brooks' decision? From everything I have been told by recruiting experts you know, how the current team is doing right in this moment doesn't typically affect a recruit's decision. It's much more about the style of play, the relationship with the coach. Now, if you have a recruit who's maybe down between two schools, as Keon may or may not be, I don't know if he's down to, you know, Indiana and Michigan State or if there's other schools in there, you know, and if it's really close and Indiana goes up to East Lansing and that game doesn't go well, could that affect it? I don't know. But I generally tend to think that recruits are making their decisions for more than what the current team is doing because they're not going to be on that team. They're projecting forward what their role would be. The only thing I think that might affect it is if there's a player in their position and maybe the coach is telling him that he's going to, you know, that he uses a player in this position in X way and he's not seeing it on the court. Maybe that would, but that's not necessarily about wins and losses. That's about that particular player. But otherwise, I don't think just because we're on a losing streak that it's going to change anything. So that's my answer to that. Um, I want to get both your guys' thoughts on this one. This is from Max. Coach, we'll start with you. With Justin Smith being essentially a non-shooter, can we afford to play Zach McRoberts, another non-shooter, at the same time? Uh, the, the typical answer would be no. You don't want more than one non-shooter on the floor. So you either got to make one a shooter. Um, but I don't know that we have a whole lot of, of choice with with the limited bench uh, that Indiana has right now so so you I think you have to play them together and then find positions as we mentioned earlier and and, and ideas that they can be effective uh, on the court Andy what do you think my immediate response to the question was who else do you play so I think right. I'm along the same lines right. with coach of of what you really do because while you have other players that you could maybe slide in for Zach in some of these cases and you'd play Romeo Al and uh and rob in the backcourt and i think you saw that a lot late in the northwestern game the answer on justin is much more complicated because there really isn't who else would you you play if duran was healthy perhaps you say he you know becomes more of your post guy and you allow juan to roam around on the perimeter a little bit more but in the absence of duran which sounds like he's going to be out for a while your options are really clifton who is another you know non-shooter from the perimeter at least and Jake, who falls into the same uh, the same bucket. So I think that is really where the challenge comes. In an ideal scenario, yes, you wouldn't want to do that very often, and I would like to think you'll see those times minimized, but I don't think they can be eliminated based on the available set of players at this point. Yep. All right, uh, and then quickly, Coach, let's go to this one. We are realistically, this is from Max, we are realistically looking at a 4-7 and seven Big Ten record after the Michigan State game. Obviously, if we can you know, beat Michigan and beat Rutgers in the next two games, that would be a little bit better than that. Do you see a path to a 6-3 and three finish? The common thought seems to be that a 500 conference record would be enough to punch our ticket to the tournament. we got about 30 seconds. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that Indiana has enough talent if they play the right way to win a lot of games. So, you know, I do think 10 and 10 is, is, is the goal. Uh, there's enough on the resume to maybe get in without that. But, yeah, there's enough home games and the schedule eases up. So I think there is a path. And there are still five games that Indiana has with a 58% or more likelihood of winning at Ken Palm and then a bunch of toss-up games. So you got to win probably four out of those five that you really should win, you know, split the other ones. And then maybe if you can knock off a Michigan or, you know, Michigan State at home or a Purdue at home where the likelihood is low, it starts adding up. And that is the path to 10 wins. We talked about that on, uh, on Banner Monday earlier this week. Um, all righty, that is going to have to do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, uh, join us. And the chat mob. At assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow night, Friday night, immediately following IU Michigan for the postgame show. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate... Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Rocket Pro Insight is the innovative product designed to give real estate agents control like never before. Get full visibility into a client's loan status, adjust their approval letter amount, help them clear roadblocks, and manage it all in one place. Sign up today at rocketpro.com slash real estate and get the freedom to check a client's progress from anywhere at any time. Offer cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. MLSConsumerAccess.org number 3030.